Matthew chapter 15, and we'll be reading from verse 22 down through verse 28. We will read these verses responsively. I'll read the even out loud and alone. We'll read the odd verses together, all with the exception of verse 28. We'll read verses 27 and 28 out loud and together. The Bible says, beginning in verse 22, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Together, verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be the unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Today I want to preach a sermon entitled this, What to do when God doesn't listen. What to do when God doesn't listen. Let's pray. I, I pray, Lord, this morning that you'd help us as we... Uh, open your word and we consider this story that actually happened. We consider uh, how it applies to us today. I pray, God, that you'd encourage all of us to be better prayer warriors. Lord, that we would um, be better at consulting and, and getting a hold of heaven uh, on a daily basis and even on a regular basis throughout our day. I pray the sermon today would move our hearts. And God, I pray that through the process of preaching today, uh, of your word, I pray that our hearts would be drawn to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Do that sanctifying work in our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I got up early one morning and rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish, I didn't have time to pray. Troubles just tumbled about me, and heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me, I wondered. He answered, you didn't ask. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all the keys at the lock. God gently and lovingly chided, my child, you didn't knock. I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on, gray and bleak. I called on the Lord for the reason. He said, you didn't seek. I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray. You may read in your United States history how George Washington found rest and relief in prayer during the trying times he and his soldiers passed through while at Valley Forge. With all the cares and anxieties of that time upon him, he used to have recourse to prayer. One day a farmer approaching the camp heard uh, an earnest voice. On coming near, he saw George Washington on his knees with his cheeks wet with tears, praying to God. The farmer rushed home and ran into the kitchen where his wife was and said, George Washington will succeed. George Washington will succeed. The Americans will secure their independence. His wife looked at him and said, What makes you think so, Isaac? This farmer... Isaac replied to his wife, Hannah, he said, I heard him pray. I heard him pray, Hannah, out in the woods today, and the Lord will surely hear his prayer. He will, Hannah. Uh, you must be assured God will hear his prayer. Notice the title there of the sermon this morning is, What to Do When God Doesn't Listen. That's an odd title. Because as we read through the Bible, we get the idea that God always listens to our prayers. And we're invited to come into the presence of God and pray. And you hear preachers say things like, God is standing on the portals of heaven uh, with His ear bent, waiting for you to talk to Him in prayer. And while I agree with all those sayings, there are times where that cord between us and heaven is cut. The line has been disconnected. And you say, well, why wouldn't God listen when I pray, well, I wrote down in my introduction, these won't be on the screen, but I wrote down on my introduction several reasons why it is that God, maybe from Scripture, would not hear our prayer. The first reason I wrote down would be is, is lack of relationship. 
lack of relationship. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but He heareth the prayer of the righteous. Notice the contrast there. The Lord is far. He's far from the wicked, but He heareth the prayer of the righteous. To the righteous man that prays, the righteous woman that prays, God hears that prayer. But to the wicked man. I think of Lot where the Bible says that he was righteous, but he vexed his soul day to day. And what while he was living in wickedness, his heart was righteous because he had been saved. The point I'm making here today is if you are not a child of God, if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you, then that means you are a child of this world. And as a child of this world, God is under no obligation whatsoever to have any contact or any communication with you. In fact, if you are lost here today and you're wandering through life trying to get to heaven on your own and through your own good deeds, your own good works, and you're not in the family of God, you can pray all you want and God very well may ignore your entire prayer. You say, well, doesn't God ever hear the prayer of someone who isn't saved? God can pick and choose when He wants to listen, but God is under no obligation to listen. I think of Cornelius in the book of Acts who was seeking and searching for truth. He wanted to know the truth. And the Jews, a very racial people, which we'll talk about more in a moment, but a very racial people during that time would not take the Gospel to the Gentiles. And Cornelius wanted to know, and God heard his prayer because he was seeking for truth, and God sent someone that way. I think of, uh, I think of uh, various other instances where God does listen to the prayer of a lost person, but generally it is because God is trying to draw that person to Him. But please be clear that if you're here today and you're lost, you can pray all you want, but God is under no obligation to listen. And I would encourage you to humble your heart before a holy God and pray and receive Him. I feel led of the Lord to say this right here, so I'm going to insert this. I didn't say this in the 830 service. But I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and and put it in right here. God God very well may be drawing you to him today. But a big obstacle that gets in the way between some people and salvation is an is an experience. Well, I was flat on my back in a medical bed and I cried out to God and I said, Lord, if you get me out of this hospital, then I will give my life to you. That's not a call out for salvation. That's a call out to be helped out of a bad spot physically. Somebody floating in the ocean in shipwreck. Lord, if you'll save me from the sharks and you'll send a ship along to save me, I'll, 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 I'll turn my life around. My friend, you might, God may have sent that boat and, and had you picked up. He may get you out of that hospital bed. He might get you out of that tight financial spot, but you've got to humble your heart before a holy God and ask Him not to save you out of a hospital bed, but to save you from an eternal hell. And that's the only way you get saved. A lot of people ask them how they know they're going to heaven. And they'll say, well, uh, I had an experience. And people who've had experiences oftentimes are the hardest ones to see get saved because they cling to that experience. And I'm here today to tell you that just because you had an experience doesn't mean you're saved. And if you're not saved, then God doesn't hear your prayer. Or God isn't forced to hear your prayer. But you say today, I am saved, but I feel like my prayers are just bouncing off a ceiling. Pastor, why is that? Well, let me give you another reason by way of introduction why God may not be listening to you. The second reason I have written down here is personal sin. Personal sin. Psalm chapter 66 and verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Proverbs 28, 9 says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. I've got two children, Matthew and April. Matthew is uh, going to turn eight here in a couple of weeks, April 6th. I love my kids and I have a really good relationship with them. And let's just say that Matthew happened to have a really bad day. Everything's going great and, and him and I are getting along well. And one day he wakes up and he's a grouch and he, he back talks me and then he disobeys me. i got to say that that would 
hurt that relationship temporarily, but it wouldn't terminate our relationship. Matthew would still be able to come and talk to me. And yes, fellowship might be slightly broken, but it wouldn't be slammed. And the point I'm making here is that you, if you're saved, you are a child of God. You are a son or daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if we want to hold that which God hates in our heart, we want to hold on to that which slayed Christ on a tree, and we want to be friends with that which God, which is enemy to God and that which is sin, then God says, I'm not going to hear your prayer. You are choosing that. I'm reminded of James 4.4 4, where, where Jesus says through uh, the pen of James, He says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world, friendship with the world is enmity with Christ. You want to be an enemy of God? Be a friend of those things which are secular or of the world, and when we choose sin, and we choose to regard it or hold on to it, God says our prayers are an abomination unto Him. An abomination. Not only does God not listen to your prayers, God, your prayers make God want to throw up. It's the idea there that you're, you're, you're trying to be holy in your prayers, but then you've got this double life over here on the side. Sinful living. I would ask you today, is there sin in your heart that's unconfessed? Is there sin in your heart that you're holding on to and refusing to let go of? My friend, if that's the case, today is the day to let it go so that God, you and God can begin to have that open channel of communication. The third reason I jotted down here by way of introduction that may keep God from hearing our prayers is selfish prayers. Selfish prayers. Will you turn over with me? Hold your place in Matthew. Turn, turn over with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 verses 1 two and three, and to the Christian who's been around church a while, these are verses that aren't uh, new to you, you've heard them before, but a good solemn reminder this morning, James chapter 4 in our Bible, and most of the day we're going to be in the uh, book of Matthew in chapter 15, and so uh, this probably will be the only passage I, I have you turn to. James 4, it says there in verse 1, from whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, uh, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Notice verse 3, ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your, your lusts. He says there, one of the reasons why you don't have is because you're not asking. And another reason why you don't have is that when you ask, you're asking for the wrong things. Can I ask you this morning when you pray, is your praying filled with complaining? Well, Lord, I just don't understand why things have to work this way. and I don't understand why people have to treat me like that. And I don't understand why my wife or my husband has to be so hard to get along with and stubborn and cantankerous. And I don't get why my kids have to be so ill-mannered. And I try to teach them right and they don't listen. And I don't understand why my boss has to be so cranky and such a jerk all the time. I don't understand why my neighbor has to try to compete with me. And he tries to keep his grass cut shorter than me and get it greener than mine. And he's just not nice to me. And God, I... I, I just don't like that. Well, if that's how you pray, good night. God's going to shut that down real quick. He's going to turn a deaf ear to that real quick. You say, well, I don't pray that hard and that intense, but stop and think about the content of your praying. Are you praying in a complaining mode? If so, you're praying amiss. You're asking amiss. Others, other people pray and they're asking God to give them things that they honestly don't need. Here in the U.S. of A., we don't really understand the difference between a need and a want. The things that we think we need, we really don't need. You don't need a Keurig. You may like your Keurig. You may want your Keurig. You don't need your Keurig. Yeah, but I need my coffee! You may want your coffee. You may really enjoy your coffee. I really enjoy my coffee. Pastor Mike really enjoys his coffee. We have a competition every day so you can drink more coffee. He wins every time. No, I'm just teasing. Um, uh, we don't really have a competition. But, uh, but the truth is you don't need coffee. People got along without coffee for a long, long, long time. Um, do you know that for the majority of mankind, there was no heating and air conditioning systems? And people still live to be between 70 and 100 years old. In fact, if you go back far enough, they lived even longer. I don't think Adam and Eve had climate control. 
Do you know that for uh, uh, the majority of mankind, there were no microwaves? My microwave went up, Pastor. Pray for me. Uh, we got to buy a new microwave. What am I going to do? Before the 1950s, there were no microwaves. You say, but how am I supposed to heat up those frozen dinners? Don't buy frozen dinners. We, we ask amiss. The Bible says so that we can consume it upon our own lusts or our own desires, our own wants. Can I just tell you this morning that beyond clothing and, and beyond, uh, uh, beyond shelter and beyond food, there really isn't anything that you need. You could make an argument that you need a car in the society we live in and the way things are set up. You could make that argument. I'll give you that one. But beyond those four things, you know you really don't need anything. If you've got a roof over your head and you've got food in your mouth and you've got clothes on your back and you've got a way to get to work, and I'm not talking about a luxury ride, I'm just talking about a vehicle to get you from A to B. Uh, and if you can't afford that, then use Uber, amen? But there's a way to get from A to B. As long as you've got that, then you're set, you're fine. Um, it'll be a good day when you can get to a place in your prayer life where you don't pray for you, you pray for others. You don't spend time asking God to give you things that you want, but there's no time to pray for the things that you want because you're too busy taking the petitions of others to a holy God. Selfish prayers. God says here, you you, you ask and you don't receive it because you're asking the wrong way. This morning I propose that many Christians don't get through to God because either they are praying the wrong prayers or, and here's where we're going to get into the thrust of the message, they are not persistent enough in their prayers. They're not persistent enough in their prayers. Let's look at five thoughts about how, about what to do when God doesn't listen. Point number one from the message out of Matthew 15 is number one, her position in life. Her position in life. Look down with me at Matthew chapter 15 and verse 22. Notice there it says, and behold, a woman of Canaan. A woman of Canaan. This was a woman who was from the outside of the Jewish uh, world. She was not a Jew, rather she was a Gentile. Look down at verse 24. It says there, but he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, Jesus came to earth uh, to save all men. He died on the cross for all men, but during his 33 years on earth, during his three years of public ministry, he did not come here to minister to the Gentiles directly. His life indirectly affects all of us Gentiles, non-Jews, but directly during that time, he did not come here to minister to the Gentiles. He never left the uh, the outskirts, he never left the border of the country of Israel, other than as a baby when he went into Egypt. But as an adult man, he never left uh, Israel. His entire ministry was to the Israelis. Yes, uh, to the Samaritans, and yes, a Roman here or there, uh, because they were an authority, but never to the people outside of the borders. Now, as he would ascend to heaven, he would look at his disciples and say, go to the uttermost. You go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and then he said, go to the uttermost. And I think they struggled with the uttermost quite a bit. In fact, uh, he had to twist Peter's arm pretty hard through a vision to get him to go witness to Cornelius. Uh, and then he, he, he sent Philip to lead the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord and then called Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. The apostle to the Gentiles. So Jesus clearly loved the non-Jews, but during his ministry, he was not there to minister to the non-Jews. And he looked at this lady and he told her, you are in no position to be asking me for anything. I'm here, to, I'm here for the Jews and you're not a Jew. I'm here to give that my bread to the sheep of Israel, the lost sheep of Israel. A little later in the passage, Christ used society's label on this lady. Look down at verse 26. But he, Jesus, answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. He called her a dog. Now you say, how offensive. And it is offensive. But Jews call Gentiles, Gentile dogs. Gentile dogs. That's how they, they were looked down upon. Her position in life. You may be here to more, uh, to this morning thinking, I am in no position to ask God for anything. Maybe you have a sin that you committed. And you've tried to confess it, but you still live with the guilt. 
And you think, I don't know, I can't forgive myself. I don't know how God could forgive me. I can't ask Him for anything. The Bible tells us that God casts our sin over His shoulder. He buries them in the deepest sea. They're as removed as the east is from the west. The east is from the west. I'm here today to tell you that God has buried your sin. And God looks at you and says, what sin are you talking about? You come to me in prayer. You ask me with a heart that's purged and cleansed and confessed. We see this lady's position in life. You may feel as though you're in no position, but scripturally, if you've confessed your sins and you have become a child of God, you are in position to pray and ask God for help. Number two, we see her problems at home. Look down with me at verse 22 of Matthew 15. Again, it says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. You ask, can a child become possessed with the devil? And I'm here today to tell you, yes, a child can become Possessed with the devil. In fact, this isn't the only child in the Bible possessed with the devil. You might remember when Jesus came down off the Mount of Transfiguration and His disciples were there with a man and His child and the child was throwing himself in the fire and the water and the disciples could not cast out the demon and Jesus cast out the demon and they asked, they said, why couldn't we do it and you did it? And He said, this kind cometh not but by prayer and fasting. And so the larger point here is that children can be demon-possessed. Can I tell you today that at the age of four, your pastor became possessed with the Spirit? You say, what? The Holy Spirit. As a four-year-old boy, I had been exposed to church from my birth. In fact, I think the week after I was born, my mother had me in the nursery of the church. They remembers that. Those nursery workers would sing to me. They would tell me stories about Jesus, even though I didn't even understand what they were saying. I remember my dad drove a church bus and my mom would hold me in her arms there on the first row of that bus. I don't remember it. I remember being told about it. I was just a baby, four or five months old. And I'm sweaty. It's the Chicago, the middle of the summer, and it's hot. And the bus is hot and kids are screaming and they're having a program on the bus. And, and the bus is bouncing up and down and the vibrations of the bus are putting me to sleep. As far back as I can remember, all the way back to my birth, I've been told the story of Jesus and His saving grace. And after having been exposed to it hundreds of times, at the age of four, I bowed my head, fully understanding the gospel, and I prayed and received Christ. Now, I'll just say this. Most four-year-olds are not capable of being saved. You say, well, are you, uh, are you more intelligent than the average person? I'm probably a little less intelligent than the average person. But I'll tell you why I was able to do it at four when most four-year-olds aren't is because By the time I was four, I had had plenty of exposure to the truth. So I was capable of being saved. You know, just like you can take a child and expose them to the right thing so that they can become brought to a place where they open their heart and invite the Holy Spirit of God and come and live in them, children can be exposed to the wrong thing so that they can invite a demonic presence to come and live inside of them. When I was 16 years old, my family picked up from northern Alabama and we moved to uh, northern Baltimore. Uh, and I finished up my last two years in a school where my father started that school uh, inside of that church. It was a ministry of that church. And there inside uh, that ministry, the north end of Baltimore, my father had, uh, with a pastor, worked it out where first through twelfth grade was closed enrollment. You had to be a member of the church or your father father had to be a pastor of a like-minded church in the area. So uh, first through twelfth grade closed enrollment, kindergarten was open enrollment. The idea there was we'd have a big kindergarten program and that would help supply the finances for the rest of the school. Worked out really well. Uh, uh, most four and five-year-olds are not going to come in and corrupt other four and five five-year-olds, right? But there was one boy who got expelled the first year of school. He came in talking about things he'd watched at home with his dad. He lived at home with his dad. I guess there had been a divorce. It was just the son and the dad. And the dad was renting pay-per-view movies and watching adult films at night in front of his four-year-old boy. And that four-year-old was coming to school and he was telling the other students what he had seen. Clearly, if you're sending your kid to a Christian school and they're coming home talking about that, you're 
you're, there's problems. And so my dad very quickly, when it was brought to his attention, yanked the boy out of class and got the dad in his office and asked the father, he said, what is going on? And the father said, he said, well, my boy's going to learn about these things at some point. He might as well learn about them with me in the room. My father looked across the desk at that man and he said, you clearly have a different uh, parenting style than we do. You need to take your son and find somewhere else to put him. That father was allowing doors to be open to his child that was exposing him to great sin. Now that's an extreme example, but can I tell you today that many parents do the same thing? And I'm talking about many parents who go to church, allow doors to be opened of satanic oppression and even sometimes satanic possession. You say, Pastor, how is it that we can open a door? What doors are there that can be opened, that demons are invited, that Satan's oppression can be invited into our home? Well, I wrote down uh, four or five of them here, ways that we invite Satan into our lives or into our families. And this list isn't all all inclusive per se. Uh, There are probably others that could be added, but the first one I wrote down is music. Music, the wrong kind of music invites a satanic presence into our lives to oppress us. I was counseling a lady several years ago and she told me, she said, I have voices in my head that call for a certain type of gothic music to be played and that is the only way I can soothe those and it was basically death music. I've, uh, I've met people uh, who, who uh, when they're in a really bad spot and life really has them down, they turn on the filthiest, most wicked music they have uh, that they can get their hands on. The very rock and roll industry was built on the idea of being an illicit lifestyle. Very much admitted so uh, by those who came up with it. And those out there that say that they're going to make Christian rock, that's like trying to take the hand of Satan and the hand of God and get them to hold hands. They're enemies. The, the words might be Christian. But you can't take that which is Christian and put it with that which is originated as being an illicit lifestyle and expect it to work. My friends, God wants there to be a clear-cut difference in what you listen to with your music. It doesn't need to sound like the world. It doesn't need to look like the world. It doesn't need to represent the world. It needs to be very, very much different. And it needs to contrast. Music is a way that Satan can oppress and even possess people. Be very careful about the music you play in front of your kids. I would encourage you, parents here, to get your hands on good Christian music that we have in our bookstore. You can find similar music on uh, uh, Pandora. I don't know about Pandora, but some of these other streaming uh, sites. And, and you can play that music for your kids when they wake up in the morning and when they uh, go to bed. I think back to Saul who was possessed with the devil. And how did, uh, how did David calm that by playing the right kind of music? The second type of ways I see that we invite demonic oppression or possession into our home is drugs. Drugs. In my ten months of being a pastor here, uh, 80% of my time that is uh, that I give to people are people who are dealing with drugs. Dealing with drugs. And I don't complain one bit. I love helping people. And I will, I will, I will enjoy and appreciate and, uh, uh, my ability or uh, my, my, uh, my duties to help those people uh, as long as I'm your pastor. But can I tell you today that all I ever see from those who do drugs is pain and hurt and dependence and broken relationships. That's all I ever see. You want to smoke that joint. Uh, you want to pop that pill. You want to shoot up that heroin. You want to sniff that line. What you're doing, you want to drink that alcohol. Uh, you even want to puff on that cigarette. What you're doing is you're saying to the devil, uh, here, let me open a door so that you can oppress me. Now you might be, if you're saved, Satan cannot possess you. But He sure can oppress you. He can make your life miserable. But if you're here today and you're not saved, and for all the people outside of the walls of this church today that don't know Christ as their Savior, we open up doors when we do these things and we are indirectly telling Satan, possess me, possess me, possess me. 
And there are children and adults all over this area and all over this country and even all over this world that have invited Satan in through the door of drug usage. I'm here today to tell you that if you've got marijuana in your home, if you've got pills in your home that you're not supposed to take, if you've got uh, a, a, a cocaine or crack in your home, if you've got alcohol in your home, you need to get rid of it or you at least need to start seeking help so that you can get off of it very, very soon because those drugs are an avenue in which Satan can possess or oppress somebody. This lady came to Jesus because her daughter was vexed with the devil. And I see many homes that are broken by sin today. And I think oftentimes it's self-inflicted because whether directly or indirectly, we've invited Satan into our homes. The third way I see here that we uh, 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 can open a door to an unclean spirit is an angry spirit. An angry spirit invites Satan uh, to come and oppress or possess. And I'm not sure which comes first, the open door or the angry spirit. But let me say this, that the angry spirit invites that satanic oppression or, or possession to stay around. I think of Saul who was filled with an evil spirit and he was angry, constantly angry. You put your fist through a wall, you want to yell and scream at everyone in your home, you want to kick things, you want to throw a fit in a temper tantrum. And by the way, that's not just for the men. Women do that as well. What you're doing is you're saying, Satan, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. Oppress us. Oppress us. The fourth way I wrote down here is pornography. Pornography. Uh, 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 the pornography industry makes more money every year than the National Football League, the National Basketball Association, and Major League Baseball combined. Combined. And you're talking about the NFL being a multi-billion dollar industry on its own. Why? Because people have bought into this idea of living in a fantasy world. And I'm here to say, the Bible still says, marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. We open the door to invite Satan to oppress our homes. We're, we're looking at the wrong things. The last one I wrote down here is sexual abuse. When a child is taken advantage of, or even an adult is taken advantage of, there is a door open to allow Satan to come in and oppress. And again, that person's been violated, but I have, I have dealt with many, many people over the years who have been a victim in this way, and it is as though a dark cloud is hanging over their head of oppression. And I'm here today to tell you that if you have been a victim of abuse in this area, you need to get counsel and you need to get help, and so that God can help you to move on and not, uh, uh, not continue to be oppressed by those things. Let me just say this morning, many parents are so careless... They're careless in what they allow their child to be exposed to. As a result, we invite satanic oppression and at times even satanic possession. Let me ask you a question, Mom and Dad. Do you know what your kids are watching on TV? In my home, we don't have cable TV. We got rid of it some time back. We do have access to a few channels. But they're all PG type levels, so there are no blocks put on our TV. There's no need for that. But we did have cable at one point. And in my home, when we had cable, there was a, a parental code put on that TV where certain content was locked out, certain channels were locked out. You say, Pastor, did you know the code? I did not know the code. My wife knew the code only. You say, Well, Pastor, do you struggle? There is that is in my flesh no good thing. I don't want to wake up at 2 in the morning having a hard time sleep, stumble out in the living room and be tempted while my wife's in bed. I don't even want that temptation there. I'm here to tell you, ladies, put a code on the TV and you're the only one that knows it. And I'm here to tell you, husbands, you need to let your wife do that. Do you know what your children are watching on TV? You wouldn't let some woman in a bikini come in your house and strut her stuff around. You wouldn't let, uh, you, you wouldn't let some alcoholic come stumbling in your house and, and drink his alcohol right in front of your kids. You wouldn't let some, uh, perverted sailor come stumbling in your house, uh, throwing out, throwing around all kinds of curse words. But we put a box on our wall and we invite all these things into our home through that box. And I'm not here to preach against TV. I've got one up in my house. But I'm here to tell you that you need to make sure it's monitored and you're not allowing satanic influences into your home through that box. 
I gotta tell you, it's getting to a place where even sitting down watching a sports game, you can't watch an entire commercial break without it having some sort of sin being crammed down your throat. This lady had a problem at home. Her daughter was vexed with the devil. And I'm gonna tell you, I look around the greater Stratford area, I look around America at large, and I see people who are plagued with devils. They're plagued with devils. Oh, maybe they don't talk in low voices. Maybe they don't sound strange. But they're hurting on the inside. And Satan has them oppressed. And even at times, possessed. We see this lady's position in life. Uh, 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 we see, number two, her problem at home. Number three, we see her plea to the Lord. Her plea to the Lord. Look back down to verse 22 and notice her crying out, her pleading to the Lord. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Many parents don't know where to turn when their children are totally out of control. They go home every day and going home is miserable. I had one mother sit in my office some years back and she said to me, this was in another ministry, she said to me, I love my children with all my heart, but I hate clocking out of work and getting in the car and going home because I know the battle I'm going to have on my hands when I get there. I know the disobedience and the disrespect that's coming when I walk in the door. And I hate going home. Where do you turn in a time like that? Many parents just endure it for 18 years and they watch their children break their heart over and over and over again. Look, your child's little snarky attitude at six might be funny to you. Wait till they're 16 and they're either pregnant or getting someone pregnant. It's not so funny anymore. It's not so funny anymore. Wait till you get a call and find out they've been arrested and caught with marijuana on their person. It's not so funny anymore. Where do you turn? I'm glad to tell you that this lady, this lady from Canaan, from the city of Syrophoenicia, other passages tell, tell her, she's known as the Syrophoenician women, woman. She knew where to go when her daughter was vexed with the devil. She turned to the Lord. And I'm here today to tell you that if there are problems in your home, don't turn to some self-help book. Don't turn to some secular author. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and let Him help you. Several months ago, I taught a Sunday school lesson uh, in the men's class entitled Five Phrases of Praying. Now, I didn't get the outline. Uh, I got the outline from a book. Much of the content inside of the outline I came up with myself or, or, or found in my own digging. But the, 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 the bare bones outline came from the book. And here were the five phases of praying. I'm going to give them real quick. If, if you have a quick pen and you want to write them down, go ahead. Desperation praying is the first stage. Desire praying is the second stage. Dependence praying, and then devotion praying, and then distribution praying. And the idea there is that you enter in at the desperation praying stage, and then you add to that desire, and then you add to that dependence, and then you add to that devotion, and you add to that distribution. And uh, you're not supposed to stop the desperation praying, but that shouldn't be the only way you pray. This lady here had a daughter possessed with a demon. She was desperate. She was desperate. You know, every Christian should pray when they're desperate. But the problem is, some Christians only pray when they're desperate. We live in such a hypocritical society. We banned prayer from our public schools. But let some gunmen run through and let the carnage be laying in the hallways. And what do the kids stand out in the, ground, out in the lawn and do? They hold hands and they pray. And nobody tells them to stop. Maybe if you were praying before time, that wouldn't have happened. The media gets on, and all the media is against God and against the Bible and against prayer. But during that same incident, you know what the news anchor says? Our thoughts and prayers are with you. Oh, now they're with them. Why do we kick God out? You say, that is so hypocritical. Christian, is it hypocritical? Isn't that what most Christians do? Oh, we may not oppose God the same way, but we're only praying when things get tough. We're only calling out to God when there's problems. You get a raise at work, there's no praying. There's this, oh yeah, look at me, i got a raise. 
You, 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 uh, you, things are going great at home with your spouse. Oh man, my marriage is wonderful. This is awesome. Uh, you, 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 medical, uh, physical, uh, you pass with flying colors. Oh man, I'm in great health. Doctor says I'm going to live to be 150. Uh, everything's going great. We'll let a problem come along and, Lord help me. What if, uh, what if I handled my marriage that way? Now I don't pre, I, I'm, I'm going to speculate a little bit here. I don't know that God works this way, but I wonder if He does. What if I went a whole month and didn't talk to Angela? Not one word. She said, hey, how are you? And I ignored her. I came in and I needed a shirt iron. And instead of asking her, I just ironed it myself. And got to the place where she quit making me dinner because she's so upset with me that I just go out to eat every day. I'm sleeping out on the couch. How many think I'd probably be sleeping on the couch if I went a whole month and didn't talk to Angela? I get down to the end of the month and I look at Angela and I say, I need you to make me a cup of coffee. That's the first phrase that comes out of my mouth. How many think I'm going to get the coffee? How many think I'm going to get slapped? I asked that in the early service and Rose raised her hand and said I'd get the coffee because she, she loves her pastor's wife. Amen. I don't think I'd get slapped but I don't know that I'd get the cup of coffee. You know the greater point here is God wants us to communicate with Him. He drops blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing on us and we've gotten used to it. And we don't thank Him for it. We just take it for granted. And then one day, a problem comes into our life. And we haven't talked to God in a month. Oh God, will you help me? Will you help me? Will you help me? And God's standing there thinking to Himself, where were you when everything was great? My friends, desperation praying is great, but desperation praying works a lot better when there's a constant communion between you and a holy God. This lady came and she cried out to God in prayer. She begged Him. Number four, we see her persistence in praying. Her persistence in praying. Look down with me verse 23 of Matthew 15. The Bible says, But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. By reason of principle, God was telling this woman, no, I'm not going to help you. So what was that principle? Again, God, Jesus was there for the lost sheep of Israel. He was not there for the needs of of, of her uh, specifically. And she was coming and asking Him to basically to make an exception there. Now again, uh, later in time, uh, the grace of Jesus Christ would reach, would be uh, more available to this woman, uh, even in a direct manner. But in this time and in this place, she was out of line really, uh, definitely, not in, in, in a place to be asking God for any help. And God also knew that this woman would persist and, and pushed her to make a point in Scripture for us to see. This woman has a daughter that's vexed with the devil and she's desperate. She comes to Jesus and throws herself down on her knees at His feet and asks Him to heal her daughter. And what, how does Jesus respond? He turns around and he totally ignores her. Not only does he ignore her, he walks away from her, putting a space between her and him with the disciples in between. I don't know about you, I don't like being ignored. When I'm talking to someone and they totally blow me off, I don't like that. Am I alone on that? I don't like that. And I know, I no doubt this woman, whatever pride she had, would have been hurt, but she didn't give up. With the disciples there, there were twelve of them there. So she begins to plea and make her case to the twelve, hoping that she can gather one of their hearts and, and pull, yank on one of them to have some compassion and take up her, her case and go to Christ on her behalf. And she's asking the disciples and they tell her to leave and she won't leave. She just keeps asking and asking and lady, get out of here. And she won't leave. And finally, one of the disciples all fed up goes to Jesus and says, will you tell this woman to get lost? 
Jesus walks up to her. And he says this to her. He says, I was sent to reach Israelites. And you are not an Israelite. Look at her response in verse 25. Then came she and worshipped him. Saying, Lord, Lord, help me. Help me. Jesus looked at her and said, You're not an Israelite. She got down on her knees and worshipped God and begged Him to help her. You know, if I was Jesus Christ at this point, I would feel like I made my point pretty well. And I would turn and help the woman. But Jesus wasn't done making a point. Jesus took things a step further. He looks at her... And he says basically this, it is totally inappropriate for me to take the bread that is meant for the house of Israel and feed it to dogs. He called her a dog. He said, I'm not giving you anything because what I have is meant for the Israelites and you are not an Israelite. You are a dog. Now, what if there had been Facebook? Back in this time. What if there had been Twitter? And she would have responded the way some of us do. Well, I went to Jesus for help. I begged and begged and begged and begged. I got down on my knees. I worshipped Him. I begged Him. He could have done it. I've seen Him do it with other people. You know what He did? He called me a name. He called. He was a racist pig. He called me a, a Gentile dog. Well, that's not what she did. Some people would have been offended They would have left and complained about how racist Christ had been. Some people would have left complaining about how they had worshipped God and had begged Him to heal their daughter and how He had denied her request. But not this lady. No, not this lady. She continued to persist. She knew her request was in line with what was right. She took the label of a dog and she turned it back around on God. She looks at her Lord And she says, okay, you want to call me a dog? Don't dogs get to eat crumbs that fall from the rich people's tables? Don't they slip them a little something under the table? How many of you here have a dog? Hold your hand up if you have a dog. Do you ever slip them anything under the table? Just be honest with me. Slip them a little something under the table. As long as it's not chocolate, it's okay, right? Slip them a little something under the table. She's saying, listen... (laughs) You can call me whatever you want. You're going to heal my daughter. And I'm not going to leave you alone to heal my daughter. Jesus looks down on that woman and he says, Oh, how great is your faith. Let me ask you this morning. Do you need a miracle from the Lord? Is there something in your life that's broken? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your health. Do you need something from the Lord? Have you you prayed about it? You say, oh, well, I prayed about it, but I feel like God is ignoring me. Have you persisted in prayer? See, a lot of times we pray, oh, Lord, I, I need a job. Provide me a job. Okay, well, God's heard my prayer. Do you know that God isn't as interested in giving you a job as He is in getting closer to you because you need that job? God isn't as interested in fixing that wayward child that's away from you as He is growing close to you because you have a wayward child and you're being drawn to Him through prayer. God isn't as interested in in fixing your marriage as He is getting close to you because you have a broken marriage. God isn't as interested in healing you as He is growing close to you because you have a health problem. And as we grow closer to the Lord in persisting in prayer, we oftentimes find that God gives us that which we're praying for. If you've persisted and you feel like God is telling you no, let me ask you this, are you persisting anyway? Now, if you're asking for a Lamborghini and God's told you no, then you need to stop asking. But if you're praying for something that you know falls with this book right here, then keep on praying. Just keep on praying. And I would ask you this as well. Are you worshiping Him in your persistence? 
A lot of times we get down on our knees to pray, especially when we're not getting our way. We've prayed two or three times, and we get down on our knees in prayer, and here's how we pray. God, I don't get you. You know, I've asked you this like 30 days in a row. Are you even up there? Are you listening to me? Don't pray that way. That's a very dangerous way to talk to a holy God. You continue to get closer and closer and closer to Him. You continue to let your heart grow closer to Him in prayer as you pray and ask Him for that perfect will. Maybe it's the loved one that's lost and without Christ. Let's review here together. Say the points out loud with me if you would. Her position in life. Number two, her problem at home. Say them out loud with me. Ready? Number three, her plea to the Lord. Number four, her persistence in asking. Number five, and lastly, we see her pleasure in receiving. Look down at verse 28. Verse 28 of Matthew 15, the Bible says, Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it Unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole that very hour. How did her daughter get healed? Well, there's a, there's a how, or there's a what, and there's a who. The what was her faith. And God looked at her and said, According to your faith, be it unto you. You know, that lady turned around that day and she left the presence of Jesus. And she didn't wonder. She didn't walk in the door with bated breath. Is she healed? No, no, no. She left the presence of God that day leaping and skipping and shouting and praising God, walking in the door, already having known that her daughter had been healed ever before she got there and found that daughter sitting in her right mind free of that devil that had vexed her. What what was it that healed the girl? Well, it was the faith of the woman. Who was it that healed the girl? It was Jesus Christ. Jesus healed the girl through her faith. And I'm here to tell you today, salvation works the same way. God wants to heal you from the curse of sin. It is God that does it. it God is the who. Your faith provides the what. According to your faith, you can be cleansed from your eternal debt with God. You've got to believe on Him. Some of you are here today and you have problems at home. Oh, you may not have a child that's possessed with the devil, but you have problems at home. Can I ask you, are you praying? Are you persisting? Some of you are here today and you're having problems in your personal life or at work. Are you persisting in prayer? Are you allowing that To be the reason that you and God get closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. This woman persisted and she got what she asked for. And oh, the joy that was on her face. What is it that you need from God? How desperate are you? Maybe you need to step back and ask yourself this question. Am I a child of God? If you're not, you need to become one so that God will begin to hear your prayers. If you're here today and you're a child of God, maybe you have some unconfessed sin, some sin you're hiding and harboring in your heart. Don't allow that prayer of yours to be an abomination to a holy God. Confess that sin and get that line of communication cleaned up. Maybe you need to stop approaching your prayer closet with such carnality and lustful praying. Maybe you're doing everything right and you feel as though you're not getting anywhere with God. And here's my advice to you. Purify your worship and pray deeper and harder. Purify your worship and pray deeper and harder. Worship is realizing that God is everything and I'm just a little nobody nothing. And pray deeper and deeper and deeper. You need a miracle from God? Pray, 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 persist, persist. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning.